just wanted to talk a little bit about overcoming evil with love. And there's obviously a, a ton of uh, references we could make. Just flip on the news. And it's hard to go five minutes without watching a town burn or a person being assaulted. And how should we respond as the church? And we're going to be talking, looking at the book of Romans this morning. And the context of that is that the writer was writing. And by the way, in case you ever want to really get a little bit deeper into God's word, it's always important to look at who wrote the book, who they're writing to and what the context of that of the writings were. For here, for Rome, uh, the book of Romans, they are, uh, I'll get to that in just a second. If you don't mind, bring up the uh, verse, please, Roger. The, uh, the verse says, let love be without dissimulation, which means concealment of one's thoughts. You be out there with it. Let your love be known. Make sure people know that you love them. And abhor which is evil. Hate evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection to one another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. If you look at God's word in the book of Romans, the people in the light of what was going on, the people were dealing with in Roman was a terrible, terrible time. Uh, everything was out of control. They had just endured the Caligula catastrophe, which was the leadership of Rome, just an evil man. And they were at the beginning of the Nero nightmare. Now, Nero was the guy that some historians say in the book of Revelation, when the Antichrist is referenced, Nero was so bad, they say that that's who John was writing about. Nero was a guy that tried to kill his own mother numerous times. He was a, a profane human being in every way, shape and form. Just a terrible, terrible person. He's the guy that whenever you see stories about Christians being burned as candles, he's, he's the one who dreamt that up. He's the one that dreamt up, oh, well, let's feed him to the lions. So Nero, Nero was an evil man. This is what the Romans, the Christian Romans were dealing with at the time. But we're told here to, to not be overcome with evil, but to, become, uh, to overcome evil with good. It's so important for us as Christians to follow through with that thought and to hold on to, to, to that. And we're going to get deeper into that today. Evil you have suffered in your life doesn't have to define you unless you let it. You can, you can make a decision right here, right now, today to, to take that evil and either twist it into something that's going to help you someday, help somebody else who will suffer the same kind of thing, because... As, as the king said, there's nothing new under the sun. People suffer unfortunate, terrible things on a regular basis. And if we can take that and, and put it through the prism of Christ, we can help others with it. Or we can twist it and let it mutate us, mutilate us, break us, run our lives. And when someone looks at us, they look at, that per they look at you and go, You're, that, that's so-and-so, and this happened to them it, with pity. Or it can be... This happened to them, and look at them now. So don't be overcome by evil that surrounds you, or by the evil that has been done to you. Something better is far more possible for you today. You can overcome evil with good. And this is a tough one. This is one that I was going over, and uh, man, I, need, I have a lot of work to do in this department myself. But the story of the church gives remarkable testimony of how this worked out if it's put into practice the right way. 
by overcoming evil with good. Two thousand years later, the church of God, the church of Jesus is still here and the, the Roman Empire is dead and gone. Overcoming evil with love. What should be the top ways for Christians to overcome evil in these increasingly dark days in which we live? Now, that's a question. If, if you had that survey, someone gave you that survey, you got one of those annoying phone calls right before dinner, and they, or they asked you this question, what would your answer be? Where would you go with it? What would you think right away? What would be your first thought? Well, my first thought was we should pray more. That's pretty vanilla. Everyone, I think, would say that. We, should, we need to pray. We need to talk to God more. We need to raise up godly leaders in every sphere of our lives, in the schools and businesses, in the arts, to change our music, to change our movies and our politics. We need to get God back into everything. We need to teach our children the difference between right and wrong. We need to get our children grounded in God's holy word. We need a new surge of evangelism and church planting in our world and in our nation. But none of these things are what God says. These are all not bad ideas. All of them would help. But none of the, these will work unless we do what God says first. So what do you do when you want to overcome evil with good? Let love be genuine. The word genuine means real, sincere. It's like pure. Don't let it be fake. Let love be without dissimulation. Again, the concealment of one's thoughts, the, the hidden idea that you love somebody. This isn't a secret crush. You're trying to let people know that you love them. You hate which is evil and you cleave to which is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another in brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Hate which is evil and hold fast to what is good. This is so important. Love one another with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection. When you think of the... Uh, the, the city of Philadelphia in the, in the book of Revelation, that was the book, the, the city of brotherly love. That, that was the term used in Philadelphia here in America that we use the same thing. And we're supposed to reach out to each other and love one another. It, it's, a, it's a biblical concept that it, when you say brotherly, it, it, it's, it's not a gender thing. It's we're supposed to love each other. Christians loving each other and singing Kumbaya wouldn't have been at the top of my list of overcoming evil. Generally, you feel like you want to reach out. You, you watch some things, and truthfully, we want to all—at least I shouldn't say we want to all—I want to respond with violence with violence. I see bad things happening, and I think, well, get the police out there and crack their heads. I think, beat them up, take care of it, let's just deal with it. But going back to the book of Numbers, there's a lot of bagats in the book of Numbers. It's a pretty hard book to read, to be honest with you. And it dawned on me looking at this message this week. There's more to it than just learning the lineage of Jesus. And then you go back to Genesis where every, you know, all the animals create animals after themselves. And the word begot means things that, uh, that create each other. It's always the same. You don't have dogs creating cats and you don't have cats creating birds. These things don't exist. This doesn't happen. So... Hate begots hate. Anger, violence begots anger and violence. And love sometimes isn't always received back with love, but oftentimes it is. And, and, but it's a guarantee that if you go after somebody and you try to hit them over the head with a baseball bat, they're probably going to not turn around and go, oh, I love you. You're going to get a violent response. 
So if you want to overcome evil with good, this is where you must begin. Let love be genuine. Let it be real. Let it be something that people can believe in. Here's the number one priority. This is what we have to do. There's no way around this part. This is a hard part, though. But we can do it because we can do all things through God. We can do all things through Christ. We're new creatures. God says do this and you will overcome, overcome evil with good. But your love has to be genuine. In other words, it has to be sincere, authentic. We like the word real here. We had Fellowship Church t-shirts years ago, years ago that said the word real on it. And that's the biggest compliment we get here is when people come visit and they go, wow, you guys are just real. From the, from the time they walk in the door to the time they sit here and listen to Pastor Gary speak, everyone is so real here. And that's what the, the huge part of the success of Fellowship Church is. People come in here and they don't feel like they're being sold something. They know that they're genuinely cared about. There can't be a pretense, no play acting. It can't be fake or false. Let your love be the real deal. This kind of love is, is immensely attractive. Who doesn't like to feel loved? Who doesn't like to feel appreciated and cared for? We're all drawn to love. Authentic love is genuine love. It's where we must begin if we want to overcome evil with good. The plain implication of let love be genuine is that in the course of our lives, we may come across something that looks and sounds like love. But it turns out to not be the real thing. We've all been burned by this before, haven't we? Whether it, it romantic love, whether it be family love, whether it be church love. What does genuine love look like? Our culture has a very clear answer today of what genuine love looks like. The culture says today you have to accept and affirm everything. If it feels good, do it. If that's how you feel, you must be right. If you really love me, you must accept me and affirm me as I am. Don't attempt to change me in any way, because if you do that, you're, you're not accepting me, and therefore, you don't love me. That's what society says today. When we hear acceptance and affirmation, the natural reaction is, well, of course, what else would love be, though? Because it's been drummed into our minds so much, that's all we hear is we have to accept, love people for where they are, who they are. It doesn't matter what they do or how they do it. If we were all little pictures of virtue, though, love that accepts and affirms everything would be completely appropriate. But we're not there yet. We're not in heaven yet. We're still sinful creatures. Because we've all sinned and come short the glory of God. During this time here on earth, Jesus used several different analogies to describe our position. We're like sheep that are lost. We're like patients who are sick. And we're like captives who are bound. We're slaves. We're in prison. If Jesus had embraced the culture's definition of love as it is today, come into, and he came into this world, the message would have been very, very different. He would have come into the world and he would have been like, you're sick, but I'm going to leave you right where you are. You're in prison, but stay in prison because that's where you are right now. And that's where you want to be. But the, we have a very, very different view, thank God, of what Jesus came forward and said. He embraced a, a different definition of love, a godly definition of love. What does genuine love look like? The Bible says acceptance and transformation. The transformation is key here. The love of God is that, is that that accepts and transforms. 
Here is lo- here's a love in which lo- the lost are found, the captives are released, and the sick are made well. No one is left where they are. The condemned are fully pardoned. Jesus Christ doesn't say, clean up your act and come to me. He invites us to come to him. And when we come, he accepts us where we are, not where we're going to be, but knows where we're going to be if we follow him and do right by his word and follow his guidance and listen to him. What is it? What does accept and transform look like? Genuine love that hates what is evil. Let your love be without dissimulation. Hate which is evil. As hard as it might be, this is a tough one. We have to remember that abortionists, the homosexual activists, pornographers, school boards, and even the media aren't the enemy. It's a tough one because we want to react. And when I say homosexual activists, I'm talking about the people out there that are trying to redefine the family, trying to erase the nuclear family, the family that's been the foundation from God's word, as well as the foundation of our country. And what's so important here is that the scripture, do you mind going back to the scripture, Roger? I'm sorry. Let love be without dissimulation, abhor which it, what is evil. The word there, it's not saying who is evil. That's a big point here. It's not saying who is evil. It's what is evil. And it goes back to that. And it sounds kind of vanilla saying we have to hate the sin, but not the sinner. But there's scriptural backing here. Let's move forward, please. Because they're the victims of the enemy. Our anger doesn't need to be towards people that have been victimized by Satan. And you can say that they allowed themselves to be, but who here hasn't? Who here can cast the first stone and say you're sinless? Who here can say it may be lesser, it may be a lesser sin, but it's still a sin, and it's still a sin that keeps you out of heaven. And how many people here can say, wow, when someone comes at me really angry and they tell me how much they hate me, Oh, I just can't wait to listen to what the rest of what they have to say. Well, you, you go, I mean, I, I, I'm all for standing outside of an abortion clinic and, tell, and lovingly trying to convince people to change their heart, to put it off, to wait, to listen to the other side of the argument, but screaming at them and calling them names and, and, and chastising them in a way where they feel threatened, which doesn't happen very often anymore. People have learned doesn't change anyone's heart. It hardens their heart. Remember Pharaoh in Exodus, his heart kept getting hard. The worse the plagues got, the more his heart hardened. So we have to be careful about how we work with people. And we have to remember that in the book of Ephesians, it said here, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness. Yes, is there, is there worldly Evil? Is there physical evil that we have to deal with? Of course there is. But our place as Christians is, is looking past that and looking past the, the victimhood of people that are misled and misguided and have been fed evil all of their lives to believe things that are wrong and look past that towards the real enemy. We're not called to hate the sinner, but the sin. We're called to love the captive soul and rage against the captor who is Satan, our enemy. That's our call to war, and it's really important that we understand it. I can personally speak to how much I need to work on this myself, and 
When Ruth, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away, I'm sorry if it offends, but the truth, and I'm, I'm confessing right now, my first thought was ding dong. Now, I, I'm not saying that for applause. I mean, I don't mean to condemn you for because honestly, that was my first thought. My first thought should have been, that's another soul that the lion devoured. Chances are, I don't know her heart. I don't know where she was when she died. Maybe she converted. I don't know where her faith was. I'm not judging her, but I'm saying just from the outside looking in, there's a chance that that's a soul that was devoured by Satan and dragged to hell for all eternity. And all I could think was making a joke, referencing the Wizard of Oz and calling her a witch. I should be outraged at Satan for, for blinding us to what the truth is. Not, not having fun with some friends and, and, and poking fun at a person I've never met. And truthfully, if I was there, I've done funerals for people. I didn't know if they were saved or not. I'm always kind. I'm always, and I decide to preach the word. If I was there in front of her family, would I say such a thing? Of course not. It was wrong for me to think that way. I'm, I'm not, I shouldn't try to be a comedian at other people's cost. It's very difficult to win people to Jesus if we branded them the enemy for ourselves. How often do we want to get out there and talk to the enemy? How often do we want to go out there and engage people that we disagree with? Our calling is not to win some sort of culture war. Our calling is to reach out to love, to seek, and to win every person to Christ Jesus. Romans says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, saith the Lord. That verse has probably kept me out of, maybe out of jail, but definitely it's kept my testimony together with my family. There have been people that I've wanted to go out and physically hurt. But back then I thought, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And my, my thinking back then always was, God will take care of it and he will do more to him than I could ever do. Now, for years, many, many years, it's, it's, it's been this way. I re- whenever the person crosses my mind, I pray for, pray for them. I pray for them to have success, to have financial blessings, to take care so that he won't be a burden on people I love. That's what God does to you when you give that to him. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he thirsts, give him a drink. For in doing so, you heap coals on a fire on his head. What genuine love accepts and transforms look like? Genuine love begins at home. Let me get a little sip here. Again, I don't know how a pastor talks so long while I'm taking a sip of drink. Especially a guy that can drink a gallon of iced tea in one sitting. Love one another with brotherly affection. Paul begins with the What? What does genuine love look like? It hates evil and holds on strong to what is good. Now he moves to the who. He says, love one another. The real challenge is that love, uh, challenges to love people that God places around you. Can I get an amen on that? Family, friends, people we love. It's not always easy reaching out and being good to the people that are right next to us. Never mind the abortionist the pornographer, all these other people. So what am I asking you for today? The people at your home, the people in your church, your workplace, even on your street. Christ calls us to love all people, even our enemies. But loving your enemies is even harder. 
So learn to love by loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. It starts here, right here at home. Other believers will stand beside you in grace, and on one day they will stand beside you in glory. We need to learn to support each other. When the world gets darker, Christians need to get closer and brighter. These things do not always happen in the church, unfortunately, though. You hear the old saying that we like to shoot our wounded. That can't be the way if we want to survive as a ministry. I heard on Moody Radio recently they were talking about, uh, what was it, 16 years ago, 46% of Americans considered themselves to be born-again, church-going Christians. And church-going, I mean, they go like at least once a month. That number is down to 24% today, according to Moody in a poll they took. The church isn't, the Jesus isn't the problem. I hate to say it, we're the problem. We're chasing people off somehow. We have to rethink how we do things. But I've been encouraged to see how the early Christians in Rome worked this out in practice. But again, it's not easy and it takes self-sacrifice. Some years after the time of Nero, Rome was hit by a series of epidemics. Sound familiar? 5,000 people were dying each day in the city of Rome alone. Many cities lost a third of their population to these epidemics, and, and some lost as many as two-thirds of their entire population to the contagious diseases that swept through their communities. Imagine your street back home, and two out of every three homes are empty. We have to overcome evil with love. The description of the heroic nursing efforts during that time of Christians was written by the, a letter uh, Dionysus, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name, but hopefully he won't sue me. Um, he was a bishop back in the day. Most of our brothers, brother and sister Christians showed unabounded love and loyalty, never thinking of themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of the danger, this is during the contagion time, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them, departed this life serenely happy. They died with these people they were taking care of. For so they were infected with, uh, uh, by the others with this disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheering, cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and curing others transferred death onto themselves and died in their stead. The heathen behaved differently, though. On the first onset of the disease, they pushed sufferers away and fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were even dead. They treated unburied corpses as dirt, hoping to therefore uh, avert the spread of the contagion and the fatal disease. But when the days get dark, God says, this is what we have to do. We have to overcome evil with good, with love. And here's how you do that. You begin with love and it must be genuine. The Roman Empire also uh, was also a low value on human life just in general. We, we, we see today that it's going to be all about abortion with the uh, Supreme Court nominee. That's going to be the, the main front center situation, whether they say it or not. But we, we see here things, ha- again, nothing new under the sun. Solomon wrote it. And it's still true to this day. Infanticide was very common back then because they hadn't surgical procedures hadn't been perfected and many women died from the abortions attempts. So instead, women would carry a child full term. Also still in the news today. It was common to expose an unwanted infant outside where it could be in principle taken up by someone who wanted to raise it 
but it typically fell victim to the elements, animals and the birds. Not only was exposure of infants very common practice, it was justified by law, our politicians, and by philosophers, modern thinkers, people who were so smart. This is a quote from a letter written by a man named Hilarion. He, he may have been a Roman soldier to his wife, Ellis, who was carrying their child. It shows the incredible callousness he has uh, for a child, but his love for his wife. He wasn't an evil man. He wasn't a person that hated people. He wasn't a, a, a despicable human being. He obviously loved his wife from his words here, but he was sold a lie. Again, the enemy got his heart. Know that I am still in Alexandria, and do not worry, for, uh, for if the other soldiers come back, and I'm still here, I beg you to take good care of our baby son, and as soon as I receive payment, I shall send it up to you. If you are delivered of a child before I come home, if it's a boy, keep it. But if it's a girl, throw it away. You have sent me word. Do not forget me. How can I forget you? I beg you not to worry. This was early Rome. And in some parts, in some hearts in America, this is America today. It was not unusual for babies, and especially baby girls, to be left in the street just to die. It wasn't that long ago in China, they had the one-child rule, and they called them water babies. People would take out their newborn infants and drown them. And then they would do some type of little thing because they felt bad about it, but at the same time, they were only allowed to have one child and everybody wanted to have a boy because a boy could carry on the name and also work the field and do whatever. But when this happened, it was the Christians who often took them in, loved them as their own and raised them, overcoming evil with love. What genuine love that accepts and transforms looks like? Genuine love lifts up people. Be kindly affectionate to one another for brotherly love and honor preferring one to another. Outdo one another in showing honor to each other. That should be our competition. Who out there is, is doing the best and showing the most? Not for, not for kudos, but because it makes a difference. You might be the only Jesus someone ever sees. You might be the only Jesus in your family. And I say you're not Jesus. I know that. I'm not Jesus, but I'm a Christian. And I represent him in name, in my title, in who I am. I, my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life because I put my faith in him. And he, he relies on us. It's part of our job. It's part of the Great Commission for us to honor others, love others, be there for others, and show the best we can be. Because if you don't, who wants it? If you're going to be like the rest of the world, what's the point? This relates to the way in which we speak to one another, to the way that we speak about one another. We live in a culture that thrives on putting other people down, and God says, let it be different among you. Have you been online lately? See how people talk to each other? Christ calls us to be a community of people who lift up one another in a culture where people pull each other down. Too often that becomes... Too often it becomes about us and not about what we want and about what we want. And when that happens, we end up being the mirror of the world. So what's the point? What's the difference? But Christ says, here's what you are called to do. 
especially as the world gets darker. Let love be genuine. Abhor which is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Overcoming evil with love. We love you and appreciate you this morning. We're so very thankful. Thankful for your time. Thank you for sitting with us and, and, and holding on throughout the entire message. Uh, if, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, all of this is like meat and potatoes. All of this stuff is way down the road. If today, you, if you're sitting here and you're, you don't even know if you've put your faith in Christ, if you can't remember a time when you've asked Jesus into your heart, this isn't where you start. You start here. And that's okay, because we can get to this. we got time. But today I, I want to make sure that no one leaves this room without knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and personal Savior. You can't leave here today without saying you made a decision. You're going to make a decision right now whether you're going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. Not making a decision is a decision in this, in this situation. I call it, I say it's easy as ABC. When I've worked with the kids, it seemed like the best way to go. A, accept the fact that you're a sinner. Except the fact that you've done wrong. One little white lie is a stain on, on a shirt. One little drop of marinara ruins a, a white shirt. Heaven is a pure white place. Your marinara isn't allowed in heaven. That one little sin isn't allowed in heaven. So if you're just, you've only told one lie, which probably is a lie to say that anyway, but you've only done one little thing, you're not allowed, you're, you're exempt, you're out. B, believe. I'm not saying you have to understand it. I'm not saying you have to be able to verbally prove it to me, go through scripture and, and, and be a scholar about it. But believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, which is historically proven. And believe that he rose again three days later. That's a that can be hard for some people. But again, historically, there are many historians that verify it. And we can, that can be, that's a message for another time. But believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. And today, and C is choose. Choose heaven over hell. Choose Jesus over Satan. And accept him into your heart. So if you've never done that, if you can't remember a time in your life when you've done that, let's go ahead and pray. And then we'll, we'll release you for the day. And we thank you again for being here and your patience with me. Let's pray. Father God, thank you, Lord, for this day. And Lord, today we pray for that person in this room. You, you said you would leave the 99 to find the one, Lord, and, and that we're, we've, we're, that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to focus on that one person in this room, Lord, that hasn't accepted you yet. They don't remember a time when they've asked you into their heart. And, Lord, I ask you to soften their heart right now and that they be willing to pray with me while we pray the sinner's prayer. Let's pray. Father God, thank you, Lord, for loving me enough to die on the cross. Thank you, Lord, for your death on the cross. And Lord, today I don't understand it all, but in faith, in blind faith today, Lord, I'm stepping out and I'm going to ask you into my heart. I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins. I ask you, Lord, to accept me into heaven when my time here on earth is done. And Lord, I, I ask you to help me to be the best I can be. Help me, Lord, to be that light on the hill. And Lord, I love you and I thank you for saving me today, Lord. And uh, just bless me, Lord, and help me to serve you. We love you. We say it all in your name. Amen. Thank you again for being here. God bless you. Have an amazing week. Don't forget to hit hospitality. Thank